Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. It's true that in this moment, in this current version of reality, in the current version of that person, they're doing the best that they can. But what about the next version of you? What about the better version of you? What about the you you're wanting to become? What about the next moment? How do you want it to go then? Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode is the first of a three-part series discussing the idea of doing the best you can when working to achieve your goals. Specifically, we talk about the dynamics of growth and how taking an occasional look back at your former self is key to change. What does your work ethic look like? Do you realize that you can always do better than how you're doing now? The true attitude of excellence is to understand that. Despite claiming you're doing the best that you can in the moment, you're always capable of improvement and can look back at the former version of your behavior in a little bit of a healthy embarrassment over what you once were. The willingness to be able to do that is key. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. I want to start today talking briefly about um, an oft-used and well-worn expression, and that is, I'm doing the best that I can, or said the other way, they're doing the best that they can. People are doing the best that they can. It's a fascinating expression. People say all the time without really getting what it means. You know, in any moment, you could say someone's doing the best that they can. Like in that vertical moment. But with a little bit of inspiration or a little bit of fire under the person's butt, you can discover that in the next moment, almost always they can do better. You know what I mean? You've all had that experience with yourself, right? You're doing something a certain way and you're just making mistakes whether you're playing ping pong or filling out a report or pressing a shirt or whatever, you realize you're distracted and you just go, "Ah, this isn't good enough. I got to do better. And then you do, right? Even if it's to embark on a project of getting better, even if it can't happen in that moment. So it's a bizarre kind of paradox, right? Because in any given moment, irrespective of the past or the future, You're doing the best that you can in that moment. But you also, in that moment, have a choice about how the next moment goes. So a lot of times when I hold people accountable, I hear this oft-used, well-worn phrase, I'm doing the best that I can. And all excuses have truth in them. Otherwise, they'd have no power. And the power in that idea when it's used as an excuse, it's not always used as an excuse, but when it's used as an excuse, it's true that in this moment, in this 
current version of reality in the current version of that person, they're doing the best that they can. But what about the next version of you? What about the better version of you? What about the you you're wanting to become? What about the next moment? How do you want it to go then? So this idea that uh, we're doing the best that we can, you know, uh, if you know the, the comedian Jim Jeffries, Australian guy, I think he's Australian, Australian or British, but at the end of uh, every one of his shows, it's a political comedy kind of show. At the end of the show, he, he says, I'm Jim Jeffries and I think we all can do better. And I love that. I love that. I think we all can do better. Not we should be doing better yesterday. Not we should be doing better right now. I think we can do better. I think in the next moment we can do better. And this is a difficult orientation, I think, for people to take on without it triggering shame. Because the, the reason people want to think that they're doing the best that they can right now is so that they don't have to feel bad about themselves, right? Because if you could be doing better, then implicit in that possibly is, well, if I could be doing better then how I'm doing now is bad, you see, because better would be good. Therefore, now is bad. And probably most of us heard some version, you know, between ages 10 and 15 or something, heard some version of insert your name here is just not applying themselves. That's what that is. They could be doing better. And then there's the implication of like, well, what's true now is bad if what could be true is better. But that's where the and is so important. The and between you're doing the best that you can right now. And that's good. And you could be doing better. Unconsciously, I think what happens is that we realize on some level, consciously or not, that we could be doing better. And then it triggers shame. Like, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm not doing better in whatever the endeavor. And then because it triggers shame, makes us feel bad because we feel like we could be doing better, but we're not yet in this moment. Then we feel bad. And then we have to push away the vector of becoming better. I can't tell you how many times I've been working with people one-on-one and they resist a certain change, a certain improvement. And when we dig down to find out what that's about, we discover that it's because if they make that change, they'll have to look at the last 10, 20, 30 years and look at how they haven't been doing it that way and come face to face with the feeling, the feeling, not necessarily the reality that they've been wasting time, not applying themselves, that they could have been somewhere else in their life. This is a subtle resistance and a kind of conundrum but it's actually really common. I mean, just think about what would happen if you were to wake up one moment tomorrow and be more in integrity, more competent, more excellent. You'd look back on the older version of yourself and it might be hard to have compassion for that. You know, when, when I used to train coaches for, for EMETH, I used to tell them, if every six months as a coach, you don't look back 
on how you used to do things and think you were terrible, you're not really growing. And most people will plateau in their competence precisely because unconsciously they don't want to look back at their past performance and realize how much it sucked relative to what they're doing now. Right. But if you use the and at any given moment, yes, you're doing the best that you can. But if you don't get to a place in your life where you look back on one of those moments and go, Oi, I really sucked then, but it was okay. Cause I was doing the best that I can could, but now I can do way better. You see what I'm saying? I imagine all of you can look back at pattern of behaviors, a way you operated, a way you related to work somewhere in your life, even if if you have to go back to age 16, your first job, think about the first job that you had. How good was your attitude? How excellent were you? How good were you at not dropping balls? And my first job, I was a lifeguard, nine straight summers while I was in school. And the job of a lifeguard, not at a beach, at a pool, very different. The job of a lifeguard at a pool is to watch people swim. My ninth summer, I saved someone. I taught swimming lessons too, but that was only like, you know, a quarter of the time or something. You're watching people swim. If it's really busy, there's a lot of people in the pool, you start counting them. So that uh, helps you focus. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we'd have to clean the bathrooms for a half an hour or something, you know, take out the trash, other sort of stuff. But 90% of the time, you're just sitting there getting really tan, watching people swim. And boy, did we used to complain about having to clean the bathrooms. It was like this ongoing thing. Everybody was always complaining the bathrooms were never clean enough. And, you know, it's a bunch of teenagers who are watching people swim and getting tan. And then we would... And, 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 and no, there was no accountability around the bathrooms. They should have been cleaned three times a day. And anytime any of us complained, the, the manager should have been like, how is it you're possibly complaining about having to clean the bathrooms for a half an hour at the end of an eight-hour shift where you got tan and watched people swim? And saved no one for summer after summer after summer. I mean, even if you were saving someone once, once a month, it's not big effort. You know, if you had to do like CPR on someone, yeah, that might be kind of stressful, but no, you just yell at kids to stop running and twirl the whistle. The result of that was that I didn't learn a work ethic until my late twenties. And my first real job when I was 20, what was that? Berkeley, I was 23. I got fired in about three weeks because my work ethic sucked and I had no idea. I had no idea. I had a great work, work ethic in martial arts. I, I had a, my first black belt by the time I was mm, 21, 22, and my second by the time I was 28. But in the domain of work, I'd been conditioned to think that twirling a whistle and getting tan was work. At least in part, I hold my parents responsible for that. If I had a kid, I would never let them lifeguard for that long. They'd have to work at a restaurant or something early on. Now that's some work. I did that later on and realized, and then I looked back and went, oh man, lifeguarding was a walk in the park. So what I'm saying is one of the governing dynamics of, of growth is that you're always looking to do better 
And one of the ways in which you know you're doing better is when you can look back at a previous version of you and go, oh my God, that's embarrassing. If that hasn't happened for you recently, I would invite you to consider you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You're doing the best that you can. Yes. And you can do better. That's the attitude of excellence. And to do so much better that you look back at the older version of yourself and are appalled. Because if you're not appalled, you haven't really transformed. You've just changed a little bit. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Have any of you had the experience? Let me hear from you. Have you ever had the experience where you look back at a former version of your work ethic and are just appalled or a former version of your behavior? I know it's not easy, but I am saying it's useful. Not everyone at once, please. This is a kind of embarrassment that's useful. Come on, I shared my lifeguard story and how I got fired. What's so it? I worked for I worked for the phone company for about 10 years. Whoa. And I, and I completely I completely hated it. Uh-huh. But I look back and you know, I really didn't apply myself either. So I was kind of more or less because it was a union job. It oh. was very yeah. So it was very hard to lose your job because you had the union kind of backing you. So you didn't really have to put forth a whole heck of a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Then I resigned eventually to move on because I just wasn't, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't like it and I didn't put in the effort and I really was kind of, I really failed at it. How did you fail? Well, we were supposed to, you know, we didn't do telemarketing. We did, you know, new installations and things like that. We took the phone, we were the call center for multiple states, but you were also supposed to sell products, you know, caller ID, things like that. Well, I, I didn't believe in selling, so I just didn't do it. So I constantly, <laughs> I was constantly sitting. They had this like academy bay where all of the poor performers sat, and I sat there for months <laughs> with my name up on a dry erase board of how many dollars I didn't make every day. And so, <laughs> and so at one point, they're like, you know, you really need to make a decision. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to resign because I, I just, I failed at it. I could have done better. I could have done better. I could have put forth the effort, but I just didn't want to. So I was lazy because I, I roller coasted along with it and, and did the bare minimum for as long as I could. Beautiful Which, story. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> wow. I mean, you really painted such a great corporate bureaucracy scene. I could smell the cubicle walls, you know? Yes, it was. We sat three at a cubicle. We sat in the bay with no walls so everybody could hear how everybody was doing so poorly. So it was quite, it was quite an experience. 10 years full-time? Yep. Yep. 10 years full-time. All right. Hold on a second. So <laughs> 40, 40 hours. So let's call that conservatively 160 hours a month <sighs> times 12 times 10, 19,200 hours. So yeah, but I hope you're taking out my vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so you are hilarious. So let's call it 20,000 hours. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. 20,000. So on one hand, in like the most meta, we can say, obviously that was some experience you needed to have. 
obviously you've, you've learned from it because I, I can sense in you, you have a great work ethic and a high sense of responsibility now. But 20,000 hours of conditioning of being in a place that you don't want to be, doing something you don't want to do in constant resistance to what they want you to do. Wow. What was the impact of that? It was mentally draining. So what it did is you just, it fed because you, because I continued to stay in that type of environment, my mental health just continued to decline Yeah. to a point where it was, you know what, I have I have to do something because I, I completely lost myself. It just wasn't who I was anymore. Yeah. And so it finally, I just, you know, once I resigned, I did take a huge pay cut, but the job that I went to, I, I liked, I wanted to excel at, I wanted to put forth the effort, you know? So then I started to grow, but I would never, never, I would never, ever go back to that ever. Hmm. It's really, it was, it was a, an awful experience, but it had a, it had a good end to it. It sounded like the risk you needed to take at the end was the willingness to leave the security and the money and take a risk of doing something you really wanted to do, even though it was not as stable, less money, all that. You gave up Mm -hmm. some security, right? Yeah. And you chose your own mental health over the safety and security of the steadiness of that corporate job. That's correct. And sometimes that takes years to do. And a lot of hours, apparently. Yeah. I was a recruiter for a while. And the kind of recruiting I did required deceit. I, I, I did what was called poaching, where you uh, try to get employees to move from one company to another company. Because with certain kinds of positions, you know, I was hiring for positions where there's like, okay, there's like 100 people in the world who can do this job. And uh, none of them are unemployed. So you need to like infiltrate Apple, Microsoft, Sun Microsystems, these kinds of companies and try to like get their company directories. And, and this was, is really common in the tech world. Where, um, and uh, it's incredibly dishonest. There's a lot of money in it and I was pretty good at it, but uh, it started to make me literally sick because that was before I learned about integrity, but I had some kind of sense of integrity in my bones and I just couldn't do it anymore. Fortunately, the economy uh, solved the problem for me. I was working for uh, Palm, remember Palm Pilots, uh, right before the dot bomb happened in 2000. And uh, there were 30 recruiters at Palm and uh, one one week and then the next week there were none. Because the first thing that happened before the dot bomb happened was a hiring freeze because everybody saw the writing on the wall. And uh, three months later, I became a business coach and never had to lie for a living again. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.